Hello and welcome to the Rare Disease Cell and Gene Therapy Monthly Roundup. Every month, we at Partners for Access bring to you some of the most important news developments in the orphan drug cell and gene therapy world and what they mean to you. Welcome to the show. Today we are joined by Sophie Schmitz, Managing Partner, and Joanna Fernandez, a Senior Consultant at Partners for Access. They will be discussing Bluebird Bio's innovative gene therapy, Sinteglo, and its withdrawal from the European market. Sinteglo is a one-time, potentially curative therapy intended to treat a specific subgroup of patients with transfusion-dependent beta thalassemia. Sophie and Joanna will be looking at the fall of Sintegro from two sides, one from a company perspective and two from the perspective of the EU environment. So Sophie, why don't you start us off by providing a little context to the situation? Yeah, thanks Georgie. And I'm pleased to be able to talking about this today. It's, it's, it's an area that is very topical uh, for many of our clients who are cell and gene therapy manufacturers and looking at Bluebird and trying to understand what, what went wrong, what actually happened and what kind of impact could this potentially have on us? What is the overspill? So I think this is particularly topical to get into some of the detail and understand what happened. So let me provide a little bit of context. As you mentioned, Sinteglo, um, one-time gene therapy that is indicated for the treatment of transfusion-dependent thalassemia, um, which I'll be calling beta thalassemia throughout the, uh, the podcast today. The journey takes us back quite a long time ago, and it was in the middle of 2019, so nearly two and a half years ago, when the company first got conditional marketing authorization in Europe. Unfortunately, and, and probably partly because of COVID, but also because of the manufacturing delays that they had, it wasn't until the start of 2020 that they were able to treat their first patient. And that was in Germany, in Heidelberg. From January 2020, all the way through over the next sort of pr pretty much 18 months, the company sought reimbursement, as would be expected, in various different member states throughout Europe. They came across some challenges. Um, one of the first major hurdles that they, uh, they stumbled on was in France, with one of the patient groups that they had getting an SMR insufficient. So that clearly wasn't enabling um, reimbursement in that market. They continued to have some challenges with Germany as well to be able to um, get a price that a negotiated price that they thought was acceptable. And also in England, um, the asset went through the single technology appraisal route, very different from some of the other gene therapies which have gone through the HST, the highly specialized technology route. To cut a long story short, after various different uh, negotiations in different member states, they came to the conclusion in August that this was not going to work uh, and they were going to exit from Europe and confirmed that the US was going to be their sole focus. So really, it took them sort of two years of trying to actually achieve access and failing before they realised that this was not going to work for them. So what do you think went wrong? Was it a problem with the European system or with the company's approach? Well, that's a good question. And, and obviously we're giving it from, from our perspective. Gosh, how long do we have? Well, let me, let me just cut this down maybe to three key areas. I think from their perspective um, and looking at the expedited pathway, the regulatory pathway, that was something that they heralded at the start. Um, there are various different pathways in Europe um, that can allow you to get to the market faster. 
conditional marketing authorization, which they had. There's also an adaptive pathways pilot, Prime as well, different accelerated um, assessment routes. And that's something that can allow you to get to the market, which sounds really good. But actually, um, what happens is typically you get to the market with less evidence, less robust evidence than you might do if you went down a normal pathway. And what happens from a regulatory perspective, that's wonderful. But when you actually get that evidence package to negotiate with payers at a local level, national level, that that really is where you come up against some big challenges. So first of all, that the regulatory pathways are quite challenging. The second was to do with the financial model that they had proposed, um, which was quite a unique model, looking at payment terms and annuity based over five years. And really, the systems in Europe were too static to be able to allow that to be put into place and to really be operational. And the last one was then looking at what actual value does such a gene therapy um, expect within Europe? Uh, The the price tag that was associated with Zintegro, was that sufficiently rewarded, yes or no? And and really looking at the way that different HDA bodies actually reward um, technology reward innovation, one of the things that, that Bluebird had expected was to be able to be rewarded a little bit more. So that was really the third area that really let them down. What about the issues around static infrastructure in Europe? Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, so with with the static infrastructure, what we're referring to here is the financial infrastructure. So as I mentioned just before, they had a a relatively unique payment because this gene therapy is is not cheap. (laughs) One of the issues that the company had was understanding the affordability and some of the financial challenges that are exhibited across various different countries within Europe. And so they'd come up with this um, scheme whereby um, the company would only get paid if the therapy was working on an annual basis. So they would split the payment into five. They got 20% up front, and then the remaining four investment chunks were actually provided every 12, 24, 36, 48 months after therapy. Now, that sounds really good, doesn't it? Because you only get paid if the therapy works. But actually, in practice, it was far more challenging because most countries' financial systems are not set up going out to five years. At a stretch, they can maybe manage a three-year budget cycle, as we've seen with some of the CAR-T therapies, but five years was just too far. And unfortunately for Bluebird, they hadn't quite done their homework appropriately to understand that five years was just was just pushing the, the, the boundaries too far. You mentioned, Sophie, about the financial cost of Zintegro and that it, it was quite high. So it had the price tag of 1.57 million per patient. That is quite high, isn't it? Well, it depends, really, doesn't it? You you might say, and 1.57, that, that was some of the average um, that they were looking for across Europe. That doesn't net, represent the net price. But in one way, you could say, well, if this was a therapy where you had very high levels of mortality, what would you be willing to do for your kids? Would you be willing to say, well, I'm going to raise this 1.57 million. My kid is worth that. I'm going to make sure that they get this therapy if it's going to save their life. What we're looking about here with beta thalassemia is not necessarily a disease with high levels of mortality. Yes, the the mortality with thalassemia is different from a a, a normal person, um, but we're not talking about high levels of mortality. Rather, we're talking about high levels of morbidity. And and that's quite um, difficult to put a price on. 
I mean, even trying to understand the levels, the accurate levels of mortality of the disease was challenging. And you can certainly see that if you look through the various different HDA reviews and, and um, documents throughout Europe. But really, um, if we look at this, the, the price tag that, that we're talking about here, one of the things that is so black and white at the moment is, is when we look at this definition of cure and a misunderstanding of what gene therapy can do. Because people see gene therapy and they, they have this idea of potential cure. And that means, okay, well, we deliver this therapy and then that's it. You're completely cured. You don't need anything ever again. But actually, that's not the case. And there are many shades of gray when we look at um, regenerative medicine. It may well be that, yes, after 20 years, this therapy is still providing what we could call a cure. Well, that's wonderful. It might be that this therapy um, after 20 years is providing a cure, but you still need to take care of other medication, which we could maybe call a functional cure. It may well be that this therapy is actually regressing the disease but not actually curing. So there are various different shades of gray. And unfortunately, the data package that Bluebird had was not um, robust enough to be able to determine, is this actually curing? Is this curing some people? Um, or actually, we're just not entirely sure. You know, it works for some, it doesn't work for the others. So, so in that case, the price tag in and of itself was considered quite high because the evidence didn't um, robustly justify it for all of the patient population. And you also mentioned that the third major challenge that Bluebird Bio faced was that evolution is not rewarded. What do you mean by that? I always thought of gene therapies as being a revolution rather than an evolution. Well, I think this is part of the misunderstanding of gene therapy. I mean... It, it does have the potential to revolutionize the way that we treat diseases. Absolutely. But at the moment, we are still on an evolutionary track. And actually, um, going back to 1865 was when Mendel first discovered the law of genetics. We are still now <laughs> quite some way later, and we haven't actually got it right. We, we're still playing around with various different types of gene therapy. And, and when we look at the future and certainly some really exciting um, applications like CRISPR, for example, there are fantastic um, opportunities that gene therapy can bring to the marketplace. But we're not there yet. You know, we're, we're 150 plus years after the law of genetics was first discovered and we're still not there. And in that case, it is very much an evolution. It's taking time to get there. Certainly, you know, if we, we look back to Glibera, probably, again, people will think about that as a, another failure in, in Europe. But that was 2012. That was nearly 10 years ago. And you would think if this was a revolution, we'd have learned by that from now. We'd have moved on from Glibera by now. But we're still not. We're still really kind of trying uh, to understand how these therapies work and trying to understand how best to actually develop the value that's going to satisfy payers. From, from my perspective, I, I do think that we're still in an evolutionary environment when it comes to gene therapies. Very exciting, very exciting to see what's going to happen in the future. Thank you so much, Sophie. Now let's move over to Joanna. Perhaps we can look at the situation from the other side and discuss the issues with Bluebird Bio's strategy when it came to Centegolo's launch in Europe. Yeah, absolutely, Georgie. If we focus down the issues into three key points, the first would be that Bluebird Bio came with a weak evidence package at launch, as Sophie has just mentioned. The second is that the company prioritised their outcomes-based agreement above all else. And finally, that the company simply did not understand the EU payer landscape. 
So what was the problem with Zintegro's evidence package, Joanna? Well, Georgie, at time of launch, the data set for Zintegro consisted of three single-arm trials. Two of these were phase one, two, and the last was an ongoing phase three study with only interim results available. Of the 19 patients included in the analysis, only three of them had a follow-up of, of five years. For the rest, it was much shorter. Because of this, Zintegro was heavily scrutinized by the health authorities in France, Germany, and England. And while each of the HGA bodies acknowledged the potential benefits of the gene therapy, the uncertainty associated with the small patient numbers, the single arm trial, and the short trial duration led to negative HGA decisions across Europe. So what about the innovative outcomes-based agreement? Surely that was a good strategy to address those payer uncertainties? Well, to Bluebird's credit, they came with a proactive approach to addressing those affordability concerns that are seen across Europe. However, the major issue with the outcomes-based agreement was that the company prioritised it above everything, including demonstrating long-term clinical value for patients. This can be seen clearly when looking at Bluebird Bio's top five strategic goals, the first four of which is focused on the instalment-based payment plan, and only their fifth goal was focusing on the value to patients. This lack of patient centricity is also obvious when looking at their launch strategy in Europe. The company decided to launch first in Germany, France and England, despite the fact that the majority of patients suffering from beta thalassemia can actually be found in Italy and Greece. Then, when a positive decision could not be reached in Germany, which typically allows for the highest price in Europe, but only has a handful of beta thalassemia patients, the company made the decision to withdraw from Europe entirely. You also mentioned that the company did not understand the European payer landscape. What makes you say that? Well, there are actually several reasons why I think this, but the most telling is that after withdrawing from Europe, Bluebird Bio themselves in a press release implied that another company with quote-unquote European experience and capabilities could actually be successful in Europe with Zintegro. And they are currently seeking a company to outlicense the ex-US rights of Zintegro too, which implies while Bluebird Bio couldn't do it, another company can. And while Bluebird argues that it's the fault of the European system and their unevolved approaches, Novartis has seen success in the region with Zolgensma. Admittedly, Zolgensma is for spinal muscular atrophy, a completely different disease, and the therapy faced a completely different competitive landscape. However, both Zenteglo and Zolgensma are gene therapies, which launched at a similar time in Europe, are for rare diseases, and have high price tags over 1.5 million euros. And while Bluebird failed to launch Zinteglo, Novartis has seen $315 million worth of sales in the second quarter of this year alone. So what do you think will happen in the future for gene therapies? Well, we at P4A believe that change is needed on both sides, both from a European system environment perspective and by ATMP manufacturers. The European market access environment is complex and heterogeneous. Greater alignment is needed across EU regulators and HTA bodies, as well as consistency in assessment methodologies across member states. There is a new EU HTA regulation which is supporting pan-joint HTA assessments across Europe, and this may help facilitate this alignment, but this is going to be many years in the making. And it is still critical that ATMP manufacturers understand what drives the EU payers and what limitations they face to ensure a successful launch. Sophie, I don't know if you have any additional thoughts on that. Yeah, I think you you pretty much hit the nail on the head there in terms of looking forward to the future. And it's not easy. <laughs> it's absolutely not easy at all. And that's one of the things that, that we sort of are helping manufacturers with is understanding 
with the uncertainties of the future and certainly with some of the changes that we're seeing in the environment, especially Germany, for example, how do you actually best incorporate those into your uh, your plans? How do you actually make sure that pan ATMP legislation, how do you actually build that into your plans? And that's one of the things that we're working with our clients at the moment is to understand the, the potential contingencies in the future and how best to incorporate those in your plan. So it's, it's absolutely not easy, <laughs> but there are ways and means to get there. Thank you both so much for joining me today. We at Partners for Access help support ATMP and orphan drug manufacturers in their pursuit of a successful launch. If you'd like to find out more about us or have any questions about Sintegro or are facing a specific challenge that you need support on, please reach out to the P4A team at contact at partnersforaccess.com. Thank you for listening. And that's it for this month. For more news and analysis, go to our website www.partnersforaccess.com. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. Thanks for listening. See you next month.